This is the word of the Lord, and it's reading from Exodus 3, uh, verses 1 through 15. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Emirates, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good evening. Welcome to Grace Community Church downtown. I am Pastor Brooks. I'm the lead pastor at Grace. Predominantly, I preach on the North Liberty campus. My wife and I, Stacy, we attend here uh, downtown, and Jason, Pastor Jason, is usually the person who is preaching. So if you're new, uh, Jason Blackley is uh, the campus pastor here. He is on a three-month sabbatical, and he will be back just around the first of July. He's deserved, uh, earned a well-earned break, and uh, please be praying for him that God would speak to his heart and just and just renew him and give him that rest. But we're continuing our series entitled Living Stones. And if you were here last week, you recall that uh, Pastor, Pastor Josh uh, looked at this passage as well as wrapped up the life of Joseph. Uh, and in this passage, um, we learn, and, and Peter says that, that you are, that is you, plural, the church, the body of Christ, those who are called out, those who are followers of Christ, We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So last week, Josh ended the life of Joseph, 
Actually, Josh didn't end the life of Joseph. That ended a long time ago. He ended with the life of Joseph. He wrapped it all up. And what we learned was that, that Joseph, he, it's kind of a transitionary point in this, this redemptive storyline of the story of God. As he's, he's called, first of all, Abraham. Abram, that he calls him Abraham, and then, then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then there's a family, and there's a family, Jacob's family, and, and with this family, we see Joseph. Joseph is sent to Egypt as a slave. He rises in prominence, and God uses him to, to, to deliver not only his own family from famine, but also an entire nation from famine, Egypt, and not only a nation, but an entire region. And during this time, we see a transition where God calls an individual, then a family, and now a nation. Now a nation. Joseph goes into Egypt, and he calls his, his brothers, and he calls his family, and they all come down to live. They all come down to live in Goshen, and, and this nation begins to grow in the incubator, in the incubator of Egypt. And, and, and the point uh, that Josh made last week is that we, we... Like this Hebrew nation, Israel, we, as followers of Christ, are called to be a chosen race. And I just want you to look at this, this phrase, this statement that Peter makes. Chosen race. That's not an ethnic group. It's a, it's a people. A chosen race. A royal priesthood. You. Me. We are a royal priesthood. A holy nation. Holy. Set apart for God's purpose. For his own possession, for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. That's who we are. That's who we are corporately. That's also who you are individually. Now, now I want you to just think about that. When you look in the mirror, as you're looking at the person staring back, do you feel remotely qualified to be any of those things? Chances are pretty good that you don't feel up to the task to be a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you. That's a probably a fair assumption. And, and oftentimes when we think about the high and holy calling that we as individuals and us corporately have... We don't feel up to the task, and we ask the following question. Who am I that I should actually be and an aspire to all of that? And it's a question you and I ask. We look at our inadequacies, we look at our failures, we look at our sin, we look at our lack of gifting, and we say, who am I that I should be any of those things? And it's a common question, and it's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. We ask, who am I? What we should be asking is, God, who are you? Who are you? What we're going to look at today, uh, tonight, in, in the calling of Moses is, the title of the sermon is, who are you? It's, it's, a double, it's a double meaning. It's, who are you? Who are you? Who am I? Who are we? But it's also, who are you, in, in terms of asking who God is. We're going to see Moses struggle with his calling. His calling and, and, and the purpose that God has for him, and he's going to ask some questions. First of all, who am I, God, that I should go to Pharaoh? But then he's going to ask another question. Who exactly are you? Who exactly are you? So four things we're going to look at tonight. First of all, the calling, Moses' calling, and by implication, our own calling. 
Secondly, we're going to take a look at Moses' objection. Who am I? Who am I? And we're going to see his brokenness there displayed. And third, we're going to take a look at the caller. Who is God? And knowing who God is, is what brings wholeness. And lastly, we're going to look at the choice. After we've seen the calling, the objections, and and the caller, there's still a choice to make. We can have all of this information, the gospel, and we still have to decide what we are going to do with it, whether we will not believe or whether we will believe. So turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, and let's go to the Lord and ask him to work in and through his word. Father, we come to you and we ask the question, who am I? Who were we that we should be used of you, called by you, loved by you, used by you? Lord, we ask those questions and, and Father, we come to you and we ask that you would answer that. Show us who we are, first of all, in our own brokenness, but more importantly, who you are and who you came to be for us as Savior, as, as, as Redeemer, as our caller, Lord, as our God. We pray that you would speak to hearts, that you would encourage those who are down, that you would mend the broken and make them whole. And Father, that you would comfort those who are grieving. Father, we pray that you'd speak to us and that your words would be words that build up, edify, sanctify. Lord, we pray that you would use the preaching of your word to glorify Christ in your people tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, first of all, the calling. Four things. First of all, context. Context, we've, we've, we've ended with the life of Joseph. We see his family has gone down into Egypt. Gone down into Egypt. They are occupying a region of Egypt called Goshen. It's, it's a place where, where, where the shepherds hang out, and Egyptians despise shepherds. This is convenient for Israel because now they have room to grow, not intermarry and become assimilated into the Egyptian culture, but they're a distinct culture. They become a nation within a nation, and after 400 years, they're quite populous. They're quite a nation. There is a large number of them, and a new pharaoh arises who does not remember, does not know Joseph, and he sees this growing population base that's distinct from the Egyptians as a potential threat. He worries that this new, this nation, this growing nation within a nation could ally itself with Syria or the surrounding nations and become a threat. And so he devises this plan. He devises this plan of population control by which he commands all newborn males to be killed, to be killed. And and of course, you know the story of Moses. Um, Moses is born and his mother creates an ark or a little basket for him and covers it in pitch and puts the baby Moses into the, the basket and puts it into the Nile. And his older sister follows along as the, as the basket drifts down the current. And finally, the basket comes to rest and Pharaoh's daughter takes baby Moses out of the basket. And lo and behold, Moses' sister pops out from the reeds and says, would you like me to find someone to nurse the little baby? And she says, well, yes, that'd be great. And so Moses' sister takes Moses back to his mother. And she nurses him for three years until he is weaned. And then Moses is raised in Pharaoh's household, in royalty, in royalty. That leads us to chapter 2 in Exodus, where, where Moses rejects his his Egyptian upbringing and identifies with the people of Israel. He goes to his people. 
He identifies with them and he witnesses the oppression of his people. In particular, there is one individual who is being beaten uh, by an Egyptian taskmaster. And Moses takes the matters into his own man, kills the individual, and buries this individual in the sand. The next day, he sees two Hebrews quarreling and two Hebrews striking one another. And he intervenes and he says, stop, what are you doing? And these individuals say to him, so are you to judge us? Are you going to kill us as you killed the Egyptian? Suddenly it occurs to Moses that other people know about this. He becomes worried and for good reason because Pharaoh does find out. And Pharaoh demands that Moses' life be taken from him. Moses flees to Midian, marries and shepherds his father-in-law's flock for 40 years. That brings us to chapter 3. Moses left Egypt when he was 40. He is now 80. That brings us up to Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Moses is shepherding his father-in-law's flock. Note that it is his father-in-law's flock. Unlike Jacob, these are not his sheep. Moses is not a wealthy man. He's a son-in-law taking care of his his father-in-law's sheep. So he is old and he is penniless. He is old and he is penniless. And now he is shepherding his his father-in-law's sheep and he sees what, what, what is an odd spectacle, a burning bush. He draws near to this burning bush and he notices that the, 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 the fire, although, although brilliant, is not consuming the wood. He draws near and the voice from the bush speaks to him. Moses, Moses, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the ground that you are standing on is holy. Moses encounters God. He becomes fearful because he knows as a Hebrew that man cannot approach God because God is in fact holy and man is not holy and to see God means death. So he fears and he falls face down. But then this God reveals to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So Moses encounters God. Moses also discovers God's intentions. This is not a chance encounter by which Moses happens to stumble upon God, but rather this is God seeking out Moses to reveal to him what he plans to do in this redemptive plan. He says, I have seen my people's suffering. I have heard my people's cries for for deliverance, and I know their pain. So God reveals to Moses that he is going to redeem his people. And then Moses receives his calling. So he's encountered this God. He has heard that God has a plan. And now he's going to learn that God has a plan for Moses, which is a part of God's plan for Israel. So we pick it up in verse 9. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses hears this call. I have a plan for my people, and it involves you. So when we think about this in terms of our own context, Peter says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, 
a people for his own possessions that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And she just let that sink in for a minute. Here's, here's what this means. It means that you as an individual, us as a people, but you as an individual are called to be all of those things. God wants to use you as an ambassador for him. He wants to use you as an emissary. He wants to use us corporately, but you individual, you individually. And that's his calling. That's what Moses hears. Now, how does Moses respond to this, this great, high, holy calling? How does he respond? Moses responds with an objection. But Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Who am I? And we see, we see different points in the next chapter where he points out, case in point, case in point. Chapter 4, verse 1, they won't believe me. They won't believe me. If, if, if you read the book of Hebrews and you also read the book of Acts, they give a little bit more color on, on, on Moses' life as, as an Egyptian and then the transition to embrace his Hebrew heritage. It says that when he took the life of this Egyptian, he, he was banking on the Hebrews seeing that as a sign that he was going to be the deliverer. They didn't get the message. He's thinking this, listen, when I was 40, when I was in my prime, when I had just come out of the courts of Pharaoh, when I, when I was young and I was confident and I took the life of that Egyptian, they didn't see me as a deliverer then. So I'm not sure how as an 80 year old shepherd who's shepherding someone else's sheep, I'm not sure how they're going to follow me now. They didn't believe me then. They're not going to believe me now. And then God says, I will be with you. And he counters with, yeah, but I can't speak. I can't put two words together and not sound like a buffoon. I am slow of speech. I'm not eloquent. And God tells him that he will be with him, that he will give him a voice, that he will bring his brother along. And then finally he says, just send someone else. Again and again. Do you see the pattern here? Moses, Moses looks at all of his failures, looks at the lack of gifting that he has. He looks at the things that he has done which were wrong. You know, we all have skeletons in our closets, right? Metaphorically speaking, we all have Egyptians we buried in the sand. He looks at what he has done to others and it's brought guilt and it's brought shame. And you and I, we do the same thing. We look at our past. We look at our failures. We look at our sins. We look at the things that have been done to us. Not sin, but sin done against us. Injustice, abuse, things said to us. And that shame and that guilt begins to define us. And then when we hear the call of God, we think, there's no way. There's no way God could use someone like me. We don't see how it's possible. We can all relate to Moses. I'm not credible. I'm not gifted. I'm not eloquent. Please send someone else. You have the wrong person. You have the wrong person. I've been in ministry since 1998. And 
for most of that, I know some of you have heard me say this, for most of that, I've, I've felt myself to be very limited in terms of my gifting. Unlike Moses, I, I have no problem being self-confident in my ability to speak. But anywhere else, generally, I believe myself to be, in and of myself, a complete poser as a pastor. And, and, and I sometimes will even self-label myself as an idiot. And, and sometimes I think about what God has called me to, and I think you're a complete poser. Someday it's all going to be exposed and everyone's going to find out what a poser you really are. So I'm going to guess that if I have insecurity issues and I've been pastoring since 1998, it's a safe bet that some of you kind of identify with Moses too. We all do. Royal nation. Holy priesthood. People set apart for his possession to proclaim his excellencies. And we're like, me? Us? Have you looked at us? Have you looked at me? Do you really know me? And here's the thing, God does. But it's the wrong question. The wrong question is, who am I that I should be called to do this? The right question is, God, who are you? God, who are you? The first thing that, that God does is, is, is tell Moses that he says, I will be with you and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people of Egypt, out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. The first thing that God does to say to Moses is, Moses, you're not alone. I'm not sending you to Pharaoh. You are an ambassador of me, yes, but I am not a king that's staying back here. I'm going with you. And Jesus tells his disciples, and by implication, all of his disciples, including us, I am going away to prepare a place for you, but don't fret, don't worry, do not be distressed because I am going to send another like me, the wonderful counselor. He's with you now, but he's going to be in you. He's going to be in you. Then when Jesus was resurrected and before he ascended into heaven, he gave the great commission. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching him to obey everything that I've commanded. And lo, I am with you to the very end of the age. He does not send us on this errand of ambassadorship alone. I'm going with you. Now that should instill confidence in Moses that he can do this and that he is called to be this, but it does not. He continues to ask. He continues to press. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. This speaks to a quality, a characteristic of God calls the aseity of God. It means that God is absolutely self-sufficient, that God is self-existent, that God depends on nothing, and that everything depends upon him. He, by, by telling him who his name is, here's what he's telling Moses. He said, Moses, here's the deal. I want you to tell them that I am. I am. I am self-existent. There's never a time that I have not been. 
there's never going to be a time where I will cease. When there was nothing in the world, I spoke and the world came into being. When, when there was chaos over the waters, the, my spirit hovered over the waters and, and I said, let there be light. And I separated the light from the darkness and, and I spoke and I created and I formed the dust and I breathed my ruach, my spirit into man. And I created man and I said, you are in my image, bear my image, rule, reign, manifest my glory. Where things are not, I call them into be. That's who I am. I am who I am. And Moses begins to see who this God is and sees himself in light of who this God is. More than that, when God says, I am who I am, what he's telling Moses, I am who I am, and I will do what I will do, and I will do it through you. As surely as I spoke the universe into existence, if I call you and I tell you what your purpose is, and I say I'm going with you, I'm going with you, and nothing can thwart my purpose for you, and nothing can thwart my purpose for my people. You just simply need to rest on my identity and who you are in me. That's what he's saying to Moses. That's what he's saying to Israel. That's what he's saying to God's people today. I am who I am. We can look at this passage can look at this passage and we can, we can wrestle with this and we can say, yeah, I get it. That's Moses. I'm not Moses. God's never spoken to me through a burning bush. Yes, I get it. He is who he is, but I am who I am. I'm a loser. I'm an idiot. I'm not gifted. I'm broken. I'm flawed. I'm sinful. I'm fleshly. I'm all these things. All those things were true of Moses as they are for you. But that's failing to take into account that he is who he says he is and he does what he says he does and he always keeps his promises. There's never a time that he doesn't keep his promises. And what was true for Moses is true for us. Only more so. How could it be more so? Fast forward thousands of years after Moses, Jesus speaking to his disciples in John chapter eight says, Jesus says to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples and you'll know the truth. And that truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and we've never been enslaved to anyone. So how is it that you can say we're free? They're, they're, they're hung up on the idea that Jesus is saying, listen, if you follow me, if my words, they remain in you and you become my disciples, you're gonna know the truth. And then, and then, and then, and only then, then you'll be free. And they're like, wait a minute, we've never been slaves to anyone. How can following you, how can abiding in your word, how can that make me free when technically I'm already free? And Jesus asks a state, makes a statement. He says, I tell you the truth. Anybody who sins is a slave to sin. How many of you have sinned within the last week? How about the last 24 hours? All of you, right? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So by implication, if we're following Jesus' logic here, that makes us all enslaved to sin. And he says, the only hope for your deliverance 
from this modern Pharaoh, this, this sin, if you will, is that if you hear my truth, you abide in my truth, you become my disciples, and then you'll be set free. Now, they don't, the Pharisees are not into that. They're not buying that. They're arguing with him. They're going back and forth. And then Jesus said, I tell you the truth, that Abraham longed to see this day. Abraham longed to see this day and rejoiced in my coming. To which the Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? To which Jesus responds, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to stone him. Why? What did they understand that the modern reader misses when they read this? They understood that Jesus was proclaiming himself to be the very entity that spoke from the bush to Moses. The very same Jesus whom we worship and we are going to celebrate the taking of communion after this sermon is I am. And when Jesus declares something to be true about you and about me and about his people, it's true whether you feel it or not. What Jesus says will come into being. Everything that Jesus promises for his children are as sure as the existence of the universe. It is no more difficult for him to make you and I holy and use us for his glorious purpose than it was for him to part the Red Seas or him to speak the universe into existence out of nothing. Because he is who he is. And he always will be who he will be. There's no deviation and there's no change in his personhood. So what does that mean? Who am I? I'm not a poser, even though sometimes I think I am. I'm not an idiot, even though sometimes I think that I am. You're not a loser. You're not an idiot. God does not see you as a sinner. Here's what Jesus says about his people, what he says about you as an individual. This is true of me, it is true of you. I am loved and you are loved. You are forgiven. Yes, you have Egyptians you buried in the sand. But Christ was buried in the tomb for your sin. And he conquered sin and he conquered death and he is risen. And he is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you right now. You are accepted. You are adopted. You belong. You are sealed. 
You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. You are marked. You are indwelt by the Spirit. You are anointed by the Spirit. You are holy. You have been set apart. That's what the word means. It means you were snatched out of that which is common, which is sinful, which is base. You were set apart and you were put into his camp. You were sealed. You were adopted. You were declared righteous. This is who you are. You're holy. You're set apart for his purpose. You're gifted. You may not know what your gifts are, but by virtue of the fact that you have the Holy Spirit, God has gifted you specifically for the task that he calls you to do. You are righteous. It means you're good. It means when the Father looks at you, he doesn't see someone defiled. He doesn't see someone covered in shame. He doesn't see someone covered in guilt. Your guilt has been taken away. Your shame has been covered and you have been declared righteous. When the father sees you, he sees the righteousness of his son in you. That's what he sees when he looks at you. That's what he sees when he looks at me. You're significant. You matter. You're not worthless. Yes, you failed. Yes, you've stumbled. Yes, people have done things to, to you and you've done things and you, you, you feel shame and you feel guilt, but that shame and that guilt has been covered, it's been taken away and you're significant. You're significant. You're a citizen of heaven. You're redeemed. You've been purchased. You're complete. You're whole. You're not inadequate. You're a friend of Jesus. When he looks at you, he sees a friend. You are a work of God. You are an absolute masterpiece. That's who you are. That's who you are. And lastly, you're God's treasured possession. You're valued and you're free. You're free. So when you, when you in those darker moments and you hear that, that, that inner voice, which sounds suspiciously like your very own voice, you're an idiot. You're a loser. You're worthless. You're no one. You're sinful. And you say to God, who am I that I should be what you've called me to be? You need to remember who he says you are. And you need to embrace that. Because that's the truth. And you can bank on it because he is who he says he is. And he always will be. He never changes. And he makes things that are not as if they are. Because they are. Because he says they are. If you have not read this book uh, by Rankin Wilborn, I, I highly recommend it. Just jot it down. It's, it's, it's a wonderful book. It's called Union with Christ. Listen, I struggle with my identity in Jesus. I know I'm justified and I know I'm going to heaven. And I know that nothing can take my salvation away. But I have to tell you as a follower of Christ for, 
for over 33 years, there's times when I think to myself, God, why do you bother with me? I self-label myself an idiot. You've, ta- you've heard me talk about this. And I'll tell you what, five years ago, I would if you would have said, folks, why do you call yourself an idiot? I would have argued with you and I would have won. I would have intellectually convinced you with, with the right that I have to refer to myself as an idiot, as the right thing to do. And I, I'm just now realizing, what were you thinking? I'm almost tempted to say you were an idiot for calling yourself an idiot, but I've already determined that's not a good idea. Why do I say this? Because I'm saying I've been in ministry for over for, for, for 30 years and I've been preaching the gospel for that many years and I struggle with my union with Christ. So I'm just gonna go out on a limb and bet that's pretty common for most people. Most people identify with Moses and they will say, no matter how long they've been following Jesus, they'll say, God, who am I that I should do any of this? So we struggle with our identity. And Moses learns that his identity is not in who he is, but rather in who God is. So this is a wonderful resource and I just commend it to you for consideration. The choice as we close here this evening is faith or unbelief. All of this that I have said is true because God says it's true, but that doesn't mean that you or I will embrace it. It has to be received by faith. It, has, it begins with faith. It begins with faith. The first question is, are you in Christ? Everything that has been stated assumes that this is true. But I dare not make that assumption, and nor should you. To be in Christ means that you have repented of your sins, and you recognize that your sin merits death. It merits condemnation. Moses' sin merited condemnation, but he didn't receive that. The scripture says that it's by grace through faith that we have been saved. And this is, is, it's not by work so that no one can boast. To enter into that relationship, that covenantal relationship with Christ, where you become redeemed, where you become holy, where you become righteous, where you become forgiven, where you become adopted, where you become all those things which are true of anyone is in Christ. It begins with you crying out, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, save me. And the scripture says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then, re- and then be baptized. Not for the forgiveness of your sins. It doesn't merit salvation, but it proclaims to, to God's people, this is who I am in Christ. This is my identity. It is no longer who am I that I should be this. It's no, who am I? I am in Christ. That's who I am. And that's what baptism does. For the rest of us who have who've begun by faith, what's the answer? Continue by faith. Paul says, in the same manner in which you have received him, so Walk. Well, how'd you receive him? By faith. Then you walk by faith. It continues with faith. Be who you are. That's what Paul says in in Romans chapter 6. When they ask this question, what, should we sin that grace may increase? He says, by no means, you've died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? Don't you realize that those of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? And so likewise, we are raised again in the newness of life to walk in faith. That's who you are. That's who I am. You're not worthless. You're redeemed. You're significant. You're adopted. 
And what Paul says and what Jesus says and what the scriptures say is be who you are. He's not saying be something you're not. He's not, something, he's not saying be something that you, you cannot become. He's saying, no, live as you are. You're free. And for freedom's sake, live as free people in Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. Embrace your new identity. Abide. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Embrace your Christian community. We are a holy nation. We are not just individuals in Christ. We are people in Christ and you need one another. It is because individuals call me out for my negative self-talk that I am actually growing in Christ. Apart from brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ, including my wife, that will call me on my self-identity, my negative talk, I would not be growing in Christ. I desperately need you. We desperately need one another. If you're not involved, get involved. Be vulnerable. And by being vulnerable, you will be built up. And others will be built up by you because you are gifted. He wants us to proclaim the excellencies of Christ together as a people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you are a holy God and you have called us to be holy. And it sounds absurd that we should attempt such a thing, to be holy as you are holy. But you've commanded it, so you have given us the resources and the ability to do so. Lord, help us to believe the truth about who we are in you. It's true, Lord, that we have done things and we have had things done to us which bring guilt and shame. And we would think that those very things disqualify us from all the things you've called us to. But Lord, your gospel, your gospel sets us free, redeems us. And we thank you and we praise you. If there's someone here tonight, Lord, who does not yet know you, I pray that tonight would be the night they cry out to you and they receive you as savior. For the rest of us, Lord, I pray that you would give us grace, that you would strengthen our faith, not faith in ourselves, but faith in you and your promises. Thank you for being the great I am who never changes and always keeps his promises. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.